All right. Hey, you guys, welcome to Behind the Visual, the podcast where I interview all those people responsible for creating the images and videos you see out in your world every single day. I am your host, lifestyle and advertising photographer, Mark Hansen. And today, my guest is the award-winning photographer, Kevin Scanlon. Kevin is a celebrity photographer, a musical photographer, a photographer's photographer. He's all kinds of photographers. Um, dude has shot everybody. I mean, he has shot, let's see, let's go on a quick list. And not, this isn't even close to all of them. Henry Rollins, Leonardo DiCaprio, Will Ferrell, Ben Affleck, Gary Clark Jr., Trent Reznor, Toby Keith, Zach Wilde, John Five, Juliana Huff, Eddie Van Halen, Mick Mars, Morrissey, Beck, Ariana Grande, Still Panther, Amy Adams, Nas, Kate Blanchett, and a whole bunch of other people. And we didn't even get to the majority of those. He's also a Rubik's Cube master. He can solve that thing in about five minutes. Um, we talk about how he got into photography. We talk about his love of uh, music and the band he was in and how they toured and how they were on the Warp Tour. And that led to him taking pictures of Weezer. And then that led, those pictures got him into a Weezer show where he, uh, Weezer invited him to come in and do some portrait work on Weezer, which ended up being on a t-shirt, which led to his whole career starting. We talk about him shooting uh, all of Eddie Van Halen's guitars including the Frankenstein guitar and then having his picture made with that and shooting Eddie Van Halen on the beach. We talk about shooting um, an LAPD art forgery detective and art theft detective and his deputy and how that turned out later that they needed the picture of the, the shot he did with the deputy because she was wanted, um, she was being convicted of murder. So I don't even know, there's so much interesting stuff in this whole, this, this podcast. You guys just need to check it out because I'm trying to figure out what else there. I mean, all kinds of stuff, just amazing, amazing kind of stuff here. So anyway, this is a great one. Check it out. Listen to it. Be sure and like this thing, comment on it, subscribe, do all that kind of stuff. And I'll um, let you guys listen to it and enjoy it. Cannons and I'm using this little webcam and you guys got the cool looking backgrounds and I got this thing going on here. What? What's not cool about your background? You got photos, you got cameras, you got a fireplace. <laughs> I like that how it's out a, of focus. That's a nice scene right there. Well, thank you. Hey, all right. I want to know about this. Okay. I was looking at your website. I want to know about this Rubik's Cube thing. <laughs> so you can just solve a Rubik's Cube immediately kind of a deal what's the deal with that it takes about five minutes Seriously? you know it's not like because you see kids now who are like in 45 seconds they're just like flipping it around and I, I don't know what they got going on obviously there's some sort of brilliant approach that i'm not aware of but you know as the rubik's cube came out when when my sister and i were kids and yeah. we got a book that was like this thick with all of these procedures and how to like turn the corner like that and how to get the side one to go over here. And it's just, it didn't, it didn't compute. Like, sure. I could follow those instructions, but when it came time to actually solve the whole thing, it yeah. was way too overwhelming. And that book did absolutely nothing. So fast forward to like, you know, 30 years later, YouTube comes out and this, this guy posts, a series of algorithms 
to, to solve the Rubik's cube. And so I just memorized that. And then it's just a matter of executing it without making mistakes. Really? So it takes about five minutes. Damn, I can't, I'm doing good to get one side in five minutes. <laughs> it's this, it's a whole thing. And it's, it's actually a really smart approach. You, you start by getting a pick, you pick a color, you get a plus sign on that side, then you get the sides, then you get to match like the corresponding center of those sides. Then okay. you get the corners. It's, it's, it's all about this these algorithms and, and it speaks to me as like a computer math oriented mind. Yeah. So it works. All right. All right. I'm going to look that up because I've always, I've, I mean, the best I think I ever did was two sides and I just couldn't get it after that. Maybe. No, you're my, it went, it, I mean, I, I don't know if this guy has this particular procedure posted still, but uh, if it is and you find it, it'll blow your mind. It's like, yeah, that totally makes sense how to approach solving this cube. It's great. Right. Well, I'm gonna try it because that's been, God, I don't even know. I remember when it came out and I just remember it's been frustrating the hell out of me ever since. Exactly. And I had friends who could do it. They would sit there and just, and what, they couldn't do it in five minutes, but within like 15, 30 or something, they got it. And I was like, shit. No, I mean, it's, it's in that drawer right behind me. <laughs> when, I, when I get, burned on retouching or editing or something i'll just i'll take that five minutes and, I'll, and then all right now that's kind of a refresher so that's and smart. it also it, it helps me when somebody on set brings a rubik's cube and you'll be like here <laughs> <laughs> and i'm like okay i gotta remember how to do this so it keeps uh it keeps those chops fresh yeah i guess putting it on your website probably has everybody bringing one and just like let's see if you can do that <laughs> i know uh I only have myself to blame for that. <laughs> do you do all your retouching? No. Um, if I have a, a budget for retouching, I'll often farm it out. I have a, a couple of people who I go to, um, Pistol Studios and Amy Dresser. Uh, they do uh, amazing work. If I don't have a budget, I'll do it on my own. If yeah. I don't have time, I'll farm it out anyway. You know, so it just, um, it depends. Obviously the professionals do a, um they have a they have an eye that i yeah. don't um they have skills that i don't but over the years i've gotten pretty good so i can do it on my own if i need to yeah i can i can do it pretty decently but i prefer to send it out if i can and then i have a friend who was a rep in new york for 20 25 years and he came over to my house one day and we're looking at images he had, uh, just shot. He's like, okay, these are the ones you should use. And now you need to, and he started going, retouch this, 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 get rid of this, get rid of that. And I was like, I don't know that I can do that. He's like, you can do it. I was like, I really don't think I can. He's like, you can do it. I'm going to sit right here and watch you. <laughs> so all of a sudden, I mean, it took me a while. I know like if I'd sent it to a retoucher, they could have done it in probably three minutes. It took me half an hour to do it, but you know, at least I ended up learning how to do it. So I'm figuring it out. So that part was good. Yeah. Nothing like pressure of having somebody right there watching. Yeah. And this dude's hardcore. I mean, he doesn't give you kudos for anything. So when he finally said, Hey, that actually looked pretty good. I was like, Oh, all right. <laughs> Thank God. <laughs> it's the small victories. Yes, exactly. How'd you get started as a photographer? Was this like a kid thing that you wanted to, you liked photography or did you end up just 
rolling into it somehow. You know, the, the seeds were planted when I was young. Uh, my sister is four years older than me, and she was always drawing things, whether it was like Garfield cartoons or horses or dogs or, you know, something, you know, whatever, doodling, any kind of doodling. And I tried and I sucked at it. I, I just, I, it was like, I made stick figures look bad. I, it just, I did not, <laughs> I didn't have that certain something. Yeah. And so there was always this desire to, to conquer some sort of visual creative thing. So fast forward to, and, and it's not like I didn't come from a really creative family. My dad played music. He played the piano growing up. He played wow. bass. And so I picked, I picked up that musical thing from him, which was a great creative outlet. And, and when did you start playing guitar? Um, and I was like 10 or 11, maybe 12. Yeah. Uh, my dad bought a bass guitar cause he played, he played music in college and, and then, so he picked it up again um, when I was about 10 or 12. And then I got, I went from bass to electric guitar. Um, I started taking lessons when I was in like sixth or seventh grade. And so that, um, that was a great creative thing. Yeah. So fast forward to my freshman year in high school, I took um, a printmaking elective. So it was uh, offset printing, screen printing and photography. Oh, wow. And the offset printing and screen printing were cool, but they were sort of rooted in some sort of talent, like drawing, like, right, you know, yeah. or, or something like that. And so those things, the, the source of those things I didn't have, the, the process was cool. I enjoyed the process, but I couldn't draw the thing that I wanted to offset print or screen print, but photography the assignments were like, go out and shoot something. And I'm thinking, can I shoot my buddies and I skateboarding? Like, yeah, that's, that's your assignment. Go out and shoot and then come in and make a print. And it was just like, I, I, I gotta go do homework. See ya. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it was like a pleasure to go out, you know? And so having that kind of introduction into homework was amazing and you know i get to i get to have fun doing the assignments so um obviously i was hit i was hooked right away um then i had a, a buddy of mine who was two years older than me who was he was a senior i was a, a sophomore he was really really into photography he was a really cool guy and he kind of took me under his wing and taught me a lot about processing and printing is a guy named Ben Stechelty. Um, and still it, he's, he's doing more filmmaking now. Um, but he's been an influence my whole career and he has helped me edit. He's helped me just do just anything, whatever. Right. He introduced me to Sebastian Salgato, not, not in person, but to the, to his work. Um, the Magnum photographers. And so that was, uh, that was important for me to have somebody like him to help me through the early stages. So what so was that the main thing you're shooting like your friends skateboard and just shooting your friends when you first started? Yeah. Um, eventually it turned into um, well, it, so in college I studied photography. I, I, 
I started at RIT as an undeclared engineering major. Wow. <laughs> and that lasted exactly one quarter. Um, <laughs> I moved on from that to photography. After my freshman year, I was like, yeah, you know, I love music. I love photography. I was playing in a band in high school. You know, we were, we were recording. We were like, like we were recording ourselves. Yeah. Wow. And that kind of process was an amazing thing. It was really a lot of similarities to photography with like lenses being like microphones with film being like, you know, the, 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 the recording tape or, you know, there wasn't digital back then. Right. Yeah. Um, you know, there, there were a lot of similarities between the two processes. So um, that was really, that was really interesting for me. So in college, I was like, let's do photography and music. So I left RIT, I found a school um, in Connecticut that had a, a great music program and a really good photography program. Um, and, and so that was, that was kind of my, my launching point after school. Um, I, I, I decided to be in the band first, try that thing. You know, you're young, you're, you don't have a lot of bills. You can go out on tour. You can, you can do your thing without, without like, Oh yeah. yeah that's why I keep death. telling my daughters, like everything you want to do, she's in college. It's like, do it now, do it when you graduate, when you don't have any bills, no family to worry about, just do it. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, uh, you know, my bandmates and I, we all lived together, so we weren't really paying a lot of bills, you know? So it was, so the, the first real passion for photography for me was like Ansel Adams-y landscapes. Okay. There was something about being in the school library and looking through these oversized books of the West, you know, mm -hmm. cause I grew up in Pittsburgh. I went to school in Rochester and Pittsburgh and New Haven and you know, I had never been out West and it just seemed like this really amazing thing. So I learned about it a lot through the photography and, you know, Edward Weston and, um, you know, Ansel Adams. And, and so I, I did a deep dive in, into the landscape photography, large format, you know, the zone system, um, you know, the printmaking thing with, you know, all the different developers and all that stuff. Yeah. I mean, Ansel Adams wrote three books, the camera, the print, the, the, the camera, the negative and the print. And I read all of them and it was geeky and I was all about it. So the practical side is so that, that, that was sort of the, the impractical side, the, the, the fine art photography, you know, but there was a more practical side for me, which was, shooting the bands that we were playing with shooting you know setting up the camera to do our own shots you know or like our own publicity shots our own album covers um you know and then being out on the road i had my my nikon fe with a 20 millimeter 28 and you know i had to have a wide angle because our van was small right the clubs were small like everything about what we were doing was small so i needed a wide angle to fit the stuff, to fit the content that I, that I wanted to, you know, that I wanted to document. And so that's more of the practical side, the documentary stuff, the portraiture, it all, it was all rooted in the music industry. Yeah. You got some great, I mean, you got some great clients from everything I've seen. I mean, 
was looking at just on your website and it was what I was I just wrote down a list and it just kept going and going. I got Henry Rollins, Leonardo DiCaprio, Will Ferrell, Ben Affleck, Gary Cart Jr., Trent Reznor, Toby Keith, Zach Wilde, John Five, Juliana Huff, Eddie Van Halen, McMor- I mean, and it just keeps going on and on and on, man. It's like it never stops. <laughs> and I have a couple of questions about some of these. First of all, why does Ben Affleck look so pissed or just not happy? <laughs> You know, um, that's probably more with with me and how I edit my photos. There are photos of him uh, being conversational and smiling and, you know, um, being a little more upbeat. There are, there are times when I, filter, I, I, I look at my shoot through a filter of seriousness and... Um, drama and moodiness and that's kind of what I've stuck with over the years. I've, I've gone through phases where I'll, I'll edit my images through a filter of upbeat, spontaneity, um, you know, happiness or whatever. And it also depends on the, 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 the writer, you know, the, the, the mood of the article, the mood of the, the film or book that they're promoting or whatever it is that they're, the, the, like the, the content of the article, like I, I need my photos to match that. You know, if, if I did a shoot with Chris Rock, which I would love to do, obviously an incredibly funny person who's done a lot of amazing, funny movies and stand up. But now he's in Fargo and no. it's a very serious role and it's a very serious script. Have you started watching that yet? I have. It's, I haven't it's, watched it. I've got it recorded, but I haven't watched it yet. It's so beautifully shot. Noah Hawley does an amazing job with all of those series. Um, I photographed him in Calgary during the first season for Adweek magazine. Um, it was he was a part of the article. The main article was about um, Billy Bob Thornton and his character, oh, yeah. um, which was, which was amazing. Uh, I almost didn't get in <laughs> to, really? to Canada because uh, at the time I was, I was under the impression that you had to have permits and it was a very last minute thing. It turns out for editorial, you don't have to have permits to go there and shoot. But um you know, the, 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 the uh, customs people that, who interviewed me going in, they were like, yeah, whatever you just told us, no, you're going to need to talk to a specialist. So I'm like, oh my God, what if I get sent home? The shoot's tomorrow. Like, oh. Anyway, very stressful. And it was all for nothing because I, I didn't need permits to get in. Could you so just anyway, went on vacation? Yeah, you know, I told, you know, flying in, I saw that the, the city, it was, it was cold. It was colder than heck. It's Calgary in, in, I don't know, February. I can't remember when we shot. God. And I just said, I'm here to shoot snow. Yeah. <laughs> like, no, I'm, I'm a terrible, believe that. terrible liar. And they're like, they look at me and they're just like, no. Yeah. Oh, man. <laughs> busted. So anyway, um, so Fargo, yeah, amazing, beautifully shot, you know, great characters um, and, uh, you know, just an amazing story. I, I've loved all of those seasons. I, I think that Noah's, Noah does an incredible job. 
you know. Yeah, um, they've done a good job on that. Way better than what was it, the Detective series that was on HBO? True Detective. True Detective. Yeah, I like the first one. The middle one was the second one was kind of, yeah. But it seems like Fargo's just constantly kept it good. Yeah, season season three of True Detective was amazing. Yeah, I thought season three was good as well. It's kind of like they went, they hit, they hear, they drop down, and they. I didn't even finish watching season two. I think I made three episodes, four episodes into it, and I was like, I can't do this anymore. The, the tough thing for me with season two was that there there wasn't season season one had a serious character, and then like kind of a like a like a character that's that's I don't know, kind of more like funny goofy yeah, a little freer kind of not yeah kind of like releases that tension with like dude what in the hell are you talking about with this you know dark diatribe that you just went on <laughs> season two didn't have that character yeah. all of the characters were really serious and really kind of a down dark thing season three it was kind of similar there was like a serious character and then there was like the character that was not as dark and was just like, dude, you need to chill, you know? And it was that kind of balance to me worked very well. Yeah, I agree. It was, I thought it was definitely better. And beautifully shot as well. Oh yeah. That's the thing. Yeah. Like I, I come to a show like Handmaid's Tale or, um, you know, Fargo, dark, a true detective. I, I come to them because they're beautifully shot and, and I stay because the characters are amazing. The story is amazing. It gets, you know, things catch me by surprise. Um, so that's, that kind of what that's. Sort yeah, of I'm pretty much there at that same way that now it's, if it's not shot well, or if it's not shot in that more of a cinematic feel, I think, as opposed to that TV movie feel, which a lot of things used to be and thank God, not so much anymore, but if it's shot more like that TV movie i'm almost can't make it past the first episode yeah i just don't even if i've heard it's really good and somebody was telling me i haven't watched dexter have you have you ever seen it um i didn't see it as it came out um and i started to watch it from the beginning and i i loved it but life happened and you know i i, I couldn't finish it it's like you know quite a number of seasons, what, like six or seven seasons? Yeah, I think it's a lot. But someone was telling me, because they were, t I think it was Dexter they were talking about, and I said I hadn't seen it, but I was telling them I'm really into stuff that looks like it's shot more cinematically now. And if it's not, if it looks like it's a cheaper production, I almost turn off immediately and go, oh, well, you might not like Dexter, but it's really good. You should try and watch it and get over that. So I haven't tried it yet, but it's on my list. Yeah, yeah, I I agree. I I've, I did a shoot with Michael C. Hall many many years ago, and um, at his house, and he was amazing. And you know, I know uh, a lot of people who are who were huge fans of the show, and were you know, are, they always express their jealousy when I post an image. Uh, and so you know, so I I I owe it to him for welcoming me into his home and photographing him and his cats to, <laughs> to watch the whole series. I think they're doing a reboot. Are they? I, I've, I, yeah, I think so. I think I heard something about with, with him. Yeah. Um, they're going to wow. do something. Okay. So that's cool. Did you watch any of the episodes before you went and shot him? 
I don't remember. I don't think so. That was at a time when I was doing a lot of those kinds of shoots, yeah. um, just like for the New York Times and for the LA Weekly primarily. And I, I honestly, I couldn't keep up. I couldn't, I, uh, you know, it was, it was a lot. And I, I did a lot of those, you know, really quick, a lot of press junkets and, you know, and it was just, it was, you know, I did my best to be aware of what they were doing and right. characters and who was working on it. But um, it was. How much time do you, do you have with them? Like say, well, on that shoot or any of the other ones like that with these celebrities, how much time do you actually have to go in there and shoot them? I know that I'm assuming you have prep time to go in there in a couple hours or whatever to get prepped. But is it one of those things where for me it's always seemed to be, you literally have, 15 minutes or something, sometimes five minutes. Sometimes like yesterday I just did a shoot and I was told I had 60 seconds. <laughs> Whoa. <Yeah. laughs> wow. Yeah. So this did, was, did one, it end up actually being 60 seconds? It was more, but it was still more like two minutes. You know, it was like 120 wow. seconds. So it was, it was one of these where she was in a, she was in a hurry and she was doing, I was shooting behind the scenes and then I had to shoot a quick portrait after this little TV thing they were shooting. And I was literally told, as soon as we say cut, you have a 60 seconds to shoot. Wow. And that was tight. That but is tight. Luckily I got 120 seconds, maybe, you know, 180. I might've gotten three minutes out of it, but you know. Hey, you tripled your time. You're damn right. And I was also told I wasn't allowed to shoot while they were shooting, but I did anyway. <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah, it's a lot easier these days with, uh, you know, mirrorless and whatever, yeah. you don't have to have a blimp. Yeah, I figured I'd uh, try. I've done. What happened was they'd come over and somebody go, hey, you gotta chill right now. And they didn't, so I just kept on shooting. But yeah, so how how's that work? Do you get a little bit of time or do you, have you had them where you give like, Oh, you got half a day with this person or is it? I've had both. Um, it, it depends. It depends on the client. It depends on, you know, for magazine cover generally it's, you get a couple hours cause the, you know, you'll, you'll have different looks and right. um, different cover options. And you know, that, that tends to be uh, a bigger, bigger production value. Um, uh, with the, with the press junkets for, um, for a weekly or uh, a daily or some monthlies, it can be a lot quicker. Generally, you know, 10, 15, 20 minutes, something like that. Yeah. Um, which is fine. That's that, to me, it's not about how long I have with this person. It's about two things. It's about how long do I have to set up? Yeah. And then is the time that you told me realistic? Don't yeah. tell me I have 20 minutes and then it ends up being five minutes. That makes me crazy because I have, I have a plan with what I'm going to do with my 20 minutes. And maybe I have four shots, five minutes each one here, one here, one here, one here. And if, if after my first setup, you're like, okay, we got to go. Like, no, I, if you told me five minutes, then I would have done, you know, a minute here, a minute there, a minute there, and maybe two minutes here. Like right. I would have divided my time based on what I needed to get. 
but you said 20 minutes. I spent whole five minutes here. If that ends up hundred percent of the shoot, I'm screwed. Like I, I didn't, I yeah. didn't get what I needed. So whatever it is, like I hate surprises with logistics. Don't surprise me. Be honest with me. And I will manage my time the way I need to based on a realistic timeline. So, you know, I, I, I say I, I hate surprises with logistics because there are surprises that I do like with creativity, for example. Yeah. If I... If I take a test shot and I'm five stops open by accident and, you know, sometimes it'll actually look kind of cool yeah. and I'll be like, Hey, that's kind of cool. <laughs> let's roll with that. Like let's shoot a little bit, five stops over. I don't know. Uh, I wouldn't have thought to do that. Right. But what I see in front of me, uh, it looks kind of cool. Let's go with that. That's a, that's a pleasant surprise. Um, actually won an award with something like that one time i was shooting some friends were in a band and we were shooting rehearsal or they were shooting a video or something and my shutter stuck or did something i'm not sure but it, i think it stuck and it was so i got these streaks coming through from the lights and the shot turned out really cool and it was That's all cool. i had so i was like hey yeah so it ended up working out really well but so those kind of things yeah I definitely understand That's fun it's good when that's kind of surprise happens for sure yeah you know i mean because it's unpredictable you know i mean first of all you didn't anticipate the shutter staying open but then the 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 creative result out of that misfunction or malfunction that's cool i wouldn't have thought to do that yeah exactly so i thought it was pretty, speaking of stuff like the the shot of john five with the makeup was that his yeah. idea or is that your idea? Yeah. No, that was, that was his, you know, um, he, uh, I think. It took me a minute to figure out what he did with that. Cause I was like, or right, is there something around his face? And then I looked at it a little harder and I realized he just did the makeup just in that little section of his face. Yeah. I think that's, he, you know, that's, uh, he performs like that. That's kind of his thing to, to, to do that makeup. And I went with it, you know, I'm not going to, um, I'm not going to make a stink about that the the person's um, image, yeah. you know, whether it's hair, glasses, clothing, you know, whatever. Like I'll 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 roll with that, even if it even if it dates the person, because maybe you know a couple years later they don't do that anymore, or they do a different style of makeup or whatever, and so we have this this image that maybe isn't as relevant anymore because it's stuck in this time. So, but you know, whatever. At the same time, I think it can be kind of cool because you're capturing that person at that time in their career. That's true. You know? yeah. So yeah. It, it, you can look at it that way. I, don't, I guess I just haven't paid much attention to what he actually looks like. I know his, his work as far as a guitarist, but I don't know that I've, and I knew he had kind of that kind of thing going on, but I don't know that I actually paid that much attention, I guess. Check it out. All right, so I want to know about this photographer series. How the hell did you get all these photographers to let you take their picture? Because I know as being a photographer, I prefer to be on the back end of the camera <laughs> as opposed to the front end. So how did you talk all these people into all these photographers into doing that? Were they all friends of yours? Some. Um, 
I, I wish Sebastião Salgado was a friend of mine or Catherine Opie or, <laughs> yeah. you know, they, um, but these, honestly, a lot of them were assignments. Um, uh, you know, William Eggleston was, uh, that was an assignment for the Memphis Commercial Appeal, who a friend of mine, uh, Bob Mayer, who was one of my first, one of the first art directors I worked with at the Phoenix New Times way back in the day. He moved to Memphis and, and was the music, uh, music editor for uh, the, the Commercial Appeal, the big newspaper in Memphis. He called me up and, um, and, and said, hey, we got this shoot with William Eggleston and I, I knew the name. I didn't know a ton about his photography, but you know, I did, I did some research and um, I went out and bought one of his books that I brought. We shot at the Chateau Marmont in one of the, um, one of the cottages there. Oh, nice. And it's funny, you know, my, uh, I have found that I've, 99% of the people I shoot are gracious, kind, patient, and a, just a pleasure to work with. The photographers I've shot are the divas, not, <laughs> right. not all of them, not all of them, but of, of all of the divas I've shot, they're all photographers. Oh, Julie wow. Coleman, I called him to book the shoot and he's like, I'm really busy. I can't do this for about a month. And I'm like, okay, my deadline isn't for like two months. No big deal. And he's like, you get one shot. Like that's, you know, that's, that's all you, you have to shoot it the way I shoot no lights or anything. And I'm like, dude, okay, like, we'll make it work. Really? Oh, let's talk about the logistics later. And of course I get there and he's, he's, he's totally nice and kind. And, you know, he just, he just had this moment where he, he was just, I, I don't know. He was just being a hard ass and being like decisive and whatever, which I, I totally appreciate and I can roll with that. Um, but he, he ended up being kind and, told amazing stories about his architecture, photography and all that stuff. And so, you know, that was cool. William Eggleston, same, <laughs> kind of the same thing. <laughs> I, I go into the, um, the, the, the bungalow or whatever, whatever it's called, little, little house um, at the Chateau. And his son is sort of the handler and he's, you know, he's welcoming me in and, you know, he introduced me to William, his, his father, and William's out in the little patio area, and he doesn't turn around and look. He's just like, he gets one shot. Like, what's what these old school photographers? <laughs> he's, he's the same thing. And his son is like, Dad, you know, not everybody shoots the way you do. Like, they have a process, and so we're, you know, like, I'll be ready later. <laughs> really? <laughs> oh my God! And I'm like, dude, don't worry about it. You know, I'm sure everything will be fine. I'll, I'll set. I, I, I have to set up anyway. I'll set up a light here and move over with some furniture and all that stuff. No big deal. And it's the same thing. You know, he sat down for me and you know was wonderful. He was he was fine. He was gracious with his time, and he ended up being fine. But he. So you got more than one shot. I got more than one shot and it's, and it's, it's funny because I shot, this was, this was at a time when I think I was kind of transitioning from film to digital. And so 
I shot both. But I didn't, I didn't remember if I, somehow the roll of film that I shot, I brought, I brought a Leica and just shot a roll of 35 millimeter. Not even, I shot a half a roll of 35 millimeter and I forgot about it. I put it, I guess I put it back in the fridge or I put it in the, in a bag of film with my camera. And I, I, I don't know, maybe it was like a tight deadline so I had to go home and submit the images right away. There wasn't enough time to develop the film. And I forgot about it. And all these years later, probably 10 or 12 years later, literally just like a month ago, I processed all this old film that I didn't know what it was. And it ended up being this half a roll of film of Eggleston. So really? now I can't wait to get back into the dark room and, and print one of these. Then Crazy. I mean, how do you lose track of a film or a roll of film of, of William Eggleston? I, I don't Sometimes I, I wonder. Because if you're in a hurry, it can happen. Especially if you're shooting digital at the same time. I can see. Yeah, I, I just, I can't Maybe imagine. Happens. It, was a, it was a pleasant surprise. So. When did you transition from film to digital? What year? Do you remember? I bought, um, I bought a, uh, a Canon... EOS 1DS in 2004. Okay. And, um, you know, I st in that period, I still have, you know, some Cate uh, Blanchett films, some Morrissey films, some Henry Rollins, and like those, those were like 04, 05, 06, where I still brought, you know, a, you know, a f film camera and shot digital as well. How is um, shooting Henry Rollins? Is he as intense as he seems or is he? Yeah, I would say he's, he's intense, but like not, not in an angry way or right. not in a negative way at all. He's, you know, um, I've shot him a couple times over the years and he is, he is wholly devoted to whatever the task is right now. Like he, um, like halfway through the shoot, you know, I'm, I'm checking in with him. I'm like, how are you doing? How are you doing on time? Like, I, you know, I don't want to overstay my welcome. And he's like, I'm yours. I'm here until you're not here. When you're not here, I'm not here. Okay, let's, let's do this. And wow. he's like, gung-ho, like, do it. And, you know, great. <laughs> yeah. I, 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 you know, I've shot people who are like on their phone half the time and, you know, kind of paying attention to me and um, that's fine. That, you know, but like Henry's not like that. Henry is fully committed to the task at hand. So that was, it's a pleasure, you know. Well, yeah, I was going to say, that's going to be great to have that. You don't have to worry about them checking their phone the whole time and, you know, listen to their publicist or whatever pulling him off to the side i guess to talk to him about something when you're ready to shoot yeah i mean henry's just you know he shows up no, there's no entourage there's no nothing just like gray t-shirt you know like there's no there's no he's just you can say it bullshit <laughs> there's no bullshit there's no bullshit with him you know that's good he, yeah, yeah. I think it's going to be very good. So what do you have a shoot in your head? That's like, this is one of the most memorable shoots or the shoot that you remember thinking that you still think back on now. So I, I can't believe I got to shoot this or this was one of them. When I first got started, I was like, Oh my God, I get to shoot this person kind of a thing. Um, 
There are uh, a, a lot of those, a handful of those suits. I mean, I, um, for, and, and all for different reasons. You know, I, I did a shoot of an investigator at the LA County coroner. Oh, wow. And um, that was profoundly memorable because of the smell, because of the stories. Like they're just, you know, really quick. They're, I, I talk a lot, so I'm going to try no, to- That's fine. You can talk all you want. Stories. But um, I was waiting for the investigator to, she had to bolt and do something that was urgent. So I, you know, after I got done setting up, another investigator comes in and he starts chatting with me and, you know, he talks about like, and so I, of course I go to, my question is what's the most gruesome oh, yeah. <laughs> thing? Like what, you know, what, just like you're asking me, what's the most memorable thing I'm asking mm -hmm. him, like, what's the most memorable thing? And he talks about these, these workers who were um, working with a chopper and, and immediately I'm thinking like, Oh my God, somebody was decapitated by a helicopter. And you know, cause the, the, the guy, the investigator was, uh, he was Spanish. And so he was think, he was talking in kind of a thick Spanish accent. And so when he said chopper, I'm thinking like, like a helicopter. Oh yeah. yeah. Chopper. And he's like, you know, all the pieces and, you know, we had to, you know, like we had to find, a finger because that's how you identify the person yeah. I'm like, dude what kind of helicopter was this like i figured the person was like decapitated or something or you know but like finding pieces i mean what it turns out he was he was talking about a, like a wood chipper <laughs> like like the landscapers cutting down a tree and putting the tree through the wood chipper and it goes into the back of the truck yeah and, you know, one of the guys was up in the tree cutting down the branches and he looks down and his buddy's gone. And he, I guess the worker got stuck and got, got sucked in and went through the wood chipper. Ooh. And, you know, the way that they had to, they had to find like a, like a thumb to get a print off of it to ID the person. And I'm just like, that is not, that's gnarly. That's yeah. a gnarly. That's a, yeah, that's, a <laughs> that's, this guy was full. I mean, he had, you know, there, there were, a, there, there was, there was like this thing on the desk and it looked like a, like a series of like little sausages in these, in, in this liquid, like formaldehyde or like, I don't yeah. know what it was. And I'm like, that's cool. What's that? And he's like, oh, well, when, um, when we find a, a body that is out in the desert, it's very dry out here. Um, all, the, all the moisture dries out. And you think about like, if you, take a, if you take a raisin and you try to get an impression off of a raisin, it's not going to work. You have right. to rehydrate. These were all fingers oh. off of a body that they put to rehydrate them so that they can pull them out and get a print. And they're just sitting there on the desk. And I'm like, that's, that, wow. That's gnarly. Yeah. So, okay. So that was a memorable shoot. Okay, the I actual photo shoot about itself. That. When they, the smell, 
Did they tell you how to get over the smell? Because my oh. stepmother used to work for the coroner's office here, the um, medical examiner's office here. And he said when he first started, like, oh, just take a deep breath in through your nose and you'll get over it. It'll, you'll, you'll stop mm. paying attention to it. So there's something that was around garbage or something one day, and I did that, and it didn't work. I was like, he's a liar. Yeah. That, that, that might be true for some people in some cases, but I – you take an elevator down, and as soon as that door opened, it was just like – oh, I mean – the smell, it was just like a punch in the mouth, or I guess the nose, I suppose. And, and you know, they're like, do you want something? And I'm like, <laughs> nah, I'm cool. It's, I, I'll be all right. I'll be fine. I, you know, and I, I, I didn't vomit or anything, so that was good, yeah. but it was... Um, did you have a mask or was it just, just you? No, no, no. Just, right. yeah. Yeah, my, my daughter went in to watch a friend of ours who's an orthopedic surgeon. So she's trying to figure out what she wants to do in, school, in college, which she'll, my youngest starts next year. And so she went in to watch a surgery and he was doing a knee replacement. So he had to cut into the knee and then cauterize it so it wouldn't keep bleeding. And the rep standing beside her was like, smell that? It smells like steak on the grill, doesn't it? So she took a... So she sniffed in, and as soon as she did, passed out immediately. Oh. Next time she went, she did the N95 mask as opposed to surgical, and she put um, Vicks vapor up underneath her nose and breathed out of her mouth from that point forward. She's like, I'm not doing oh, that yeah. again, and she survived it. But Okay, so go on. So we did the L.A. coroner, and then you were about to tell me something else. Um. You know, the, probably the, um, the, the first big sort of break that I got as a photographer, you know, I, like I said, I, I came out of the music world. I played in a band for eight years. We toured. We played with a lot of big bands that, um, that I looked up to, you know. To, Were you shooting them as well? Yeah, I mean, while shooting them, shooting them live, like the big, big bands. I was shooting them live and maybe shooting some stuff backstage. Right. Um, you know, what? Growing, uh, growing up, one of my favorite bands was The Descendants. And, you know, over the years, we befriended them by offering, you know, like back in like 91 when All was on tour, which is most of The Descendants besides the singer. Um, my buddies and I would offer to help them carry their equipment up the stairs to the, you know, to the music venue. And you know, that's kind of how we started our relationship with them. They ended up recording um, our, uh, a bunch of our records and, you know, they were, they were amazing in nurturing our careers as musicians and everything. So, um, so we had gone on, on tour with them. We recorded with them. We did a lot of different things with, with all in the descendants. And so over the years I shot them a lot. So I, so I had a, a certain comfort level with rock stars and right. my, you know, my favorite musicians. Um, so my band was out on warp tour uh, back in, I don't know, 2000 maybe the summer 2000 maybe 99 what was the name of your band we were called pollen p-o-l-l-e-n okay. 
pollen. We released four full lengths. Um, the last one was out on Fueled by Ramen Records, which is, um, that was Vinny from uh, Lesson Jake's uh, record oh, yeah. label. So they had, um, they had Fall Out Boy and uh, the Academy Is and, you know, a bunch of bands that ended up being like commercially successful and amazing. And um, we did not. So, uh, <laughs> so anyway, so we, we played Warp Tour. I had an all access pass so I could go wherever I want. Of course, I brought my camera with me. So I'm, I'm backstage and I'm shooting like, you know, the guys from Green Day, just like stupid little backstage portraits, not even portraits, just like them standing there. Um, the guys from Weezer, you know, I'm shooting them live and, uh, you know, it was, it was awesome. So I go home, process the film, make prints. And, you know, back then there were the big thing, the big like community thing were message boards online. Yeah. And so I posted a couple of these images on Weezer's message board. Later on that summer, they're playing a couple of shows at the glass house in Pomona. And I drive out because that's a really pretty intimate venue to see a band that I had been listening to for years and years and years. I had never seen them in such a small place. So, um, so I, I'm still living in Arizona at the time. I drive out to Pomona, you know, I get there really early. I have tickets and I knock on the door because I, I knew, I think we had played the glass house before. So I, I knew, I knew the doors and I knew how the, you know, the backstage, whatever. So a guy answers and he's like, what's up? And I, I brought those prints and I'm like, Hey, I brought these prints just so that you, you know, know that I'm a legitimate photographer. Right. I have tickets to the show. I just want to know if I can get a photo pass. I'm not trying to get in for free. The show was sold out. I'm not trying to like weasel my way and whatever. And they're like, okay, let me, sh let just give me these prints, come back in 15 minutes. So I came back and he's like, yeah, the band recognized these from the message board and they want to know if you want to come in and shoot some portraits of them. Wow. I'm just like, I, yeah, I mean, obviously, but the first thing I'm thinking is like, shit, do I have enough film? Like, I, I you know, I, I don't know how much film I brought. I probably, I don't know, brought like 10 or 12 rolls enough to shoot like a whole show. Yeah. Obviously not the first three songs, but um, you know, so I leave and I, I, and I'm like, they tell me like, come back in an hour and we'll, we'll get you set up. And so you know, I'm thinking like, should I go to a camera store? Like, is there one around here? Whatever. So, but I, I had probably 10 or 12 rolls of film, which, which ended up being enough. So I go in, they're like, Hey, this is Rivers, Mikey, Pat, and um, Brian. And the, the guy I was talking to originally was Carl. He's like their the fifth Weezer, you know, he's, he's, he's kind of the right hand man and roadie photographer. Like he does, he does, you know, the online stuff. And so, um, so we start shooting and we just shoot, do all this, you know, portraits here, portraits there. I mean, it was amazing. And, uh, you know, this band Weezer, they're all mine right now. You know, like that felt- That's pretty cool. Incredible. So I walk out of there, shoot the show, of course. And, um, and they, end up, they end up licensing one of the images for a t-shirt. 
I had a promo piece that I could send to all these music magazines in New York and whatever. I mean, they just basically handed me a photography career because I had, you know, I had some bands that were you know, like more my friends, but they weren't, they weren't as big as Weezer. Um, you know, the Jimmy world guys, I was buddies with them and I shot them a bunch over the years. Um, and, you know, amazing. I love them. Um, they weren't that big at this time. This was like 2000, um, maybe a year or two later, bleed American came out. And yeah. so that kind of took them to the, to the, you know, uh, the next level. But, um, but anyway, so, so having these images of Weezer really gave me a credibility that I didn't have otherwise. And, you know, it was just me doing my thing. Like I just, I, I would do this anyway. And then now I'm getting paid to do it. So yeah. like that, that was cool. That's a pretty cool story. That was, that's a very memorable one. Yeah, I bet, man. Had, so when they licensed your, the image for the t-shirts and all that, did you know anything about licensing and how that worked? <laughs> Who helped you with the cash part on that? Did they just say, here's how much we'll give you for it? Yeah, they made an offer. And I was like, really? You're going to sell merch and this is what you're offering? And they were like, take it or leave it, basically. Right. And I honestly, I, it wasn't about the money then. I didn't care. I, I had. Well, it sounds like they could have given you a dollar and it still would have been well worth it. Yeah. I mean, you know, they're, I, they knew that I was a young photographer. I, I wanted, I don't, I don't think my band had stopped playing yet. So I didn't really have. I'm trying to think. Yeah, I'm pretty sure I was still like a full, like fully committed to the band and being, I had few plans to be a photographer in the future, but like yeah. it wasn't on my plate now. So I don't know. They just, they, they figured, you know, let's make an offer. If he takes it, if he takes it, if he doesn't, then we'll go ask somebody else who has a cool black and white photo. Right. I took it and you know, I, I don't regret it. Yeah. What a life than money. Was I taken advantage of? Maybe, you know, but like I said, yes, right. I didn't have to say yes. So was I, I think if you look at it as that they, can help jumpstart your career, then it's. Yeah. Totally I think to it. me, I agree. I think to me, that was more valuable for me as somebody starting out. It, I got a lot of mileage out of it. And, and, and now, you know, I, I still have that film. I'm still making prints of it. And I can, I can do that now. It's like this moment in history. Um, you know, they've, they, they, they don't even have that bass player anymore. Mikey Welsh, he passed away. And um, so it's just, it's like this little slice of Weezer that, that I have. And I don't know. It's uh, I think it, it, it meant more to me than, than yeah. the money it would have. Oh yeah, I agree. I think it was well worth it. Whatever you got paid for it. I think it sounds to me like it was worth. It was $300. Oh, okay. Well, <laughs> hey, that's, you know what? That's, that's... For, for a merch deal. Like that's, that's not enough, but well, no. you know, again, I, I, I said yes. And it's still better. I, I have a friend of mine who shot some chick who's a country singer and she wasn't, at, she was just getting started at the time. And she, he shot her right before she moved to Nashville. She moved to Nashville. She's released an album. They want to use this shot on the album cover. They offered him a hundred bucks. I'm like, here's a hundred dollars. I don't know what he said. I don't know if he said yes or if he said no or whatever, but 300. So that's three times what they offered. 
you know, this is, this is 2000 money. Yeah. This is 2018, but, you know. I think 2019 yeah. on that one. So it sounds like it's just gotten worse. <laughs> if you just for inflation, you know, yeah, they offered you worse and worse, less and less money. How on the warp tour thing, did you guys do the whole tour or were you just there when they came to where you were living? Okay. No, it was like West coast warp tour right. dates. Yeah. Um, you know, we, I just imagine which is fine. I mean, chaotic. We, we would have been honored to been asked to do the whole tour. Um, but it, the way the warp tour works is grueling. Like God. they, because it's such a big production that booking locations isn't very easy. Yeah. So they're the way that they're spaced geographically doesn't make sense for a touring band which is fine. Most of the bands are being driven. They're on buses, they're in RVs or like whatever they're, but for a band like us, we're driving ourselves in a van, you know, they're like eight, 12, 15 hour drives between these cities. And, you know, it's just like, you can't, that's not sustainable as a human to do that. I mean, people do it and we probably would have, but you know, a normal tour is like three hour drives, eight hour drives, maybe, but like, you know, out West, you know, maybe some of those drives are a little bit longer, but like, you know, it's, it's, it can be pretty, you know, you're outside all day. It's the summer. Yeah. It's hot. It's humid. You know, it's just like really gnarly conditions for a band like us. Um, but you know, it was, we, what we did, we enjoyed, it was fun. You know, no regrets. Yeah, I figured it was probably a little, a little chaotic based on the touring that they had. How long did you guys? So did you do like a a week or two or a month or is it just probably like a week? I yeah. think you know, um, and even that probably wasn't consecutive days. Yeah. I, I I don't I don't remember. Like we did we did Phoenix. We we did. Um, Fresno, California. Maybe we did like Pomona. Um, I, who handled I can't setting all that up for you? Like for when you guys were touring on your own, who handled? Did you guys have a manager, or did you have somebody in the band who was handling your tour, like setting you up at venues or wherever you were going to play? We, our record label, helped us. Fuel by Ramen, they helped us a lot. Um, um, we did have a manager at one point and he didn't help us at all. Yeah. You know, uh, sounds our, like our, the majority of my reps. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I've, I've had much, much better luck with, with my photo agents than we, than the, the band did with that manager. I mean, it was, it was just like a lot of talk and, and it wasn't yeah. very helpful. And so, so like a lot of, a lot of what we did was internal. Um, our singer, Dan did a lot of work behind the scenes. Um, I did some of the bookings on tours and like sort of the management, like my, uh, my last day job was a database administrator. So when we booked the tours, I brought a laptop and I, I built a database. Really? Tour- where, where I could track 
like all the late, all, all the, uh, the music venues I reached out to their phone numbers, address, and all the ones that we got booked. And I attached a map to it and driving directions and all this stuff. So you really had that whole left and right brain thing going completely together. Super deeply, yeah. Wow. That was kind of my, that was my contribution to the band was, you know, kind of like a logistics thing. Well, that's probably good because a lot of people don't have both sides of their brain at that level, I don't think. I mean, so. that was the first thing that got me into photography. I was a math and science guy. You know, yeah. like I was an abstract thinker, you know. I wasn't much of a reader, you know. I, 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 and like, I'm, it was the chemistry and the, you know, like the numbers on the camera and the mechanics and, you know, the, 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 that kind of stuff drew me in and the you know the homework assignment skateboarding obviously but the that's that's what made me good at it to begin with because i was able to grasp the exposures and like the numbers and like all those concepts i i got all that the creativity came later i i should say the creativity is still coming like i haven't (laughs) i haven't achieved like a creative zenith like i maybe technically i've i've done a lot of cool things but you know the the creative part is an ongoing thing forever like that'll never i think that's probably good because if you get to a point i think where you think you've shot that great shot the best shot you're ever going to shoot then what's the point continuing because for me it's always no matter what i shoot i always think well i could have done that better or if I've shot, maybe if I've shot, and now I'm constantly looking at other photographers. Like I'm looking at your work and I'm looking at other photographers work and I'm going, damn, all right. I still got a long way to go. I need to be shooting like this or shooting like that. You know, we're shooting. I never would have thought to shoot that way, but that's a cool idea. Maybe I need to do that next time. And you know, learning stuff like that, just by watching and looking at other people's stuff. I agree. I, I think that it's really important to consume photography, but you know, there was a, there was a, a big period of my photography career where I, I approached every shoot, like how would Ockenfels shoot this? How would, uh, you know, Seliger shoot this? How would Leibovitz shoot this? And, I, you know, it's important to be inspired by other photographers and other artists in general, filmmakers, you know, painters, whatever. It's important to be inspired by that, but but to to take it literally and be like how would this photographer shoot this okay that's how i'm going to shoot this that was that was a, a the wrong way to go about the work that i was doing right. it should have been like how can i do this in a way that's appropriate for this shoot and that's a way that i've never done before you know um what, what can i do creatively that's interesting to me that's appropriate and um, that, you know, might, might help me refine my voice. Um, I think that's a good way to look at it. I think there, cause there's so many people I think will do like what you're talking about. They'll see another photographer's work and like, and while they're shooting, like, okay, I want to do that. I want to shoot that. And I think when I first started and I think probably it's a decent, it's an okay thing is, you look at other photographers trying to figure out how they shot that and you go shoot your version of that or something similar to try and get it. And I think it helps you learn how to shoot and helps you, you know, figure out lighting and camera angles and that kind of stuff. But then once you get past that learning point, 
then I think it's what you're saying is correct. You need to use it more as inspiration and something to help you just go like, that's great how they shot that, but don't sit on set and pretend like you're that photographer and try and shoot it again. Cause then yeah. it's a lot more difficult. Yeah, I agree. You know, I mean, if you're, if you're going to do something literal like that, then do a test shoot, like yeah. find a, a model and grab a team for glam and do something and like try to replicate, especially like if you're just starting out, try to replicate something that, that you see uh, an image out there that you're, that you think is cool, you know, like do that, but don't do it on an assignment. Or if you do do your own thing. And then at the end of the shoot, do like an extra thing off to the side. That is an experimental thing. I mean, this is, I think every shoot should entail something at the end that's experimental that might work and it might not, but if it doesn't, who cares? You've fulfilled your client's requirements already. Yep. You know, take the end of the shoot and do something weird. Like, you know, reverse the angle and, you know, sh make all the lights go in the wrong direction or, um, I, you know, whatever it is, shoot something with a lot of flair, you know, like even though you know that the client won't like that because they want something more straightforward, throw another light in there and, overexpose it by 10 stops. I don't know. <laughs> Who knows what yeah. it's, it might look like crap, but there might be something in there that is like that, that'll plant a seed for something that will, that'll, that'll be meaningful for you in the future. Yeah. I've always said that get what your client needs and then you can play. You know, exactly. Yeah. Try and do that. Especially if you're shooting and you go, God, this would be a cool way to shoot it go ahead and get what your client needs and then go, Hey, I'm going to try this over here real quick. And as long as there's no, you got 30 seconds, you know, that kind of thing, then go for it. Have you had a lot of agents reps? Have you had, had a handful. Any? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Are you, do you have one at the moment or are you on your own? I'm on my own right now. Um, I, I've, I haven't done like a hard push to find an agent. Yeah. Um, there are benefits to, working on your own um but you know the i i do i i, I do appreciate the hard work that an that, that an agent does um for a couple of things number one i like having a bad cop yeah <laughs> yes you know i i you know i like my relationship with my clients i like to keep it a, a, a positive thing and to be um, to be an asset for them and to be somebody they enjoy working with. Um, but if I have to play the bad cop and set limits for what I'm going to do or say no for something like I'll do it if I have to, but I don't, I, um, I like yeah. having a bad cop on yeah. the side. I like to, you know, being my advocate and, you know, that's, I mean, that's it. Just being the bad cop. I think it makes it nice that way. Yeah. And, and, and I, um, I'm not an awesome marketing person. Yeah. So I appreciate the, the marketing skills that most agents bring to the table. Um, you know, so 
Uh, and then, uh, you know, having a vision for me, like I, I know what I want to achieve as a photographer. I know the, the, the work that I like to do. Um, somebody else might come in, you know, an agent might come in and say like, hey, we think that you'd be good at this. Why don't you try this? I'm going to set you up with a team, go out and shoot this. And then let's, let's shop this around to some new clients that you've never thought to work for before. And, um, you know, I think that that, that kind of outside the box thinking is something that I appreciate from the agents that I've had over the years. Yeah. I've had the best one I've had was probably the first one I had. And then she ended up leaving and going to produce and then have a family. But it's one of those things for me is the job I was offered a job and um, I probably, and the price they offered was not that great. It included everything. It was for my Digitech, any of my expenses, whatever. And at the time I probably would have said, okay, that's not what it should be. The numbers aren't right there. They should be, but I'm going to say yes. Cause I don't want to turn the job down. I want the money. She didn't care about the money because she was getting paid salary from the agency, the bigger agency itself. So she went back and said, he'll do it for that price, but that's just for him. You have to pay his expenses and his assistance over top of that. And they came back and were like, okay, we'll do it. So I would have completely screwed myself if I hadn't been for her. So having somebody like that, I think is, is definitely helpful. You still got to give up, you know, 25, 30% of your, your cut, but it can be helpful at the time. I think if you had the right one, but then there's so many times you get, I've had since that a lot of agents who were just kind of, eh, and didn't really, weren't really worth it. Okay. So a couple more questions and I'll let you go. I want to hear about Eddie Van Halen and I want to hear, cause what I, I think it was on your Instagram you hinted that you may have played the Frankenstein guitar, but you didn't actually say it. So I'm kind of wanting to hear about that shoot. Uh, that was amazing. That was for um, uh, Rest in Peace, Eddie Van Halen. Um, just a, 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 a mountain of uh, influence on, uh, on music and our culture and guitar work and songwriting and all that stuff. Just a giant... And uh, he will he will be sorely missed. Um, so this was for a cover shoot for Guitar Aficionado magazine, now defunct. Um, they they called me and they said, okay, here's what we want to do. We're gonna do uh, we're gonna shoot at his house. Uh, Fifty one fifty. The recording studio is is at his house in Beverly Hills. It's, a, it's like a guest house. We're gonna shoot his guitar collection there. And then the following day, we're going to go to his beach house in Malibu and shoot portraits of him. And I was like, okay, uh, yeah, that, let's do that. Yeah. So um, his, uh, his guitar tech, um, this guy, Matt, an amazing guy, wonderful. I ended up shooting him for, with his amp collection uh, a couple of years later for the same magazine. Um, amazing helpful, super positive guy. Really enjoyed working with, with Matt. He, he brought all the guitars over and like set them up and, you know, like here's, okay, this was, this was this guitar. It's a, you know, meow, meow, meow gear. And he got it, you know, and this is, you know, whatever. 
um, so he kind of like step put, took me through the process of, of all the guitars and toward the end there was the the 5150 which is the you know the the, the guitar from like the uh, the music videos hot for teacher and right. Panama um, with the Kramer neck and that was amazing like because I you know I was pretty uh, influence, uh, highly influenced when I saw all those music videos and like smiling and, you know, all the other guitar players were like so serious about their guitar playing. He's just smiling and enjoying the ride. I mean, that was like, that was different. And I had not thought about that until I was watching that Ozzy Osbourne documentary and they were talking about Ozzy and how he was one of the few rockers who, or one of the only rockers who would go out there and smile and clap and like having a great time where everybody else was so, and then I saw, then I was watching like literally, I think the next day I was watching a Van Halen video and Eddie's like smiling straight into the camera. And I was like, he's the only guitar player I can think of that really does that. Yeah. You know, it's great. It was a, you know, it was original. Yeah. <laughs> So anyway, um, so then then Matt brought out Frankenstein, which is the Strat neck, and you know that's that was actually the cover of that was on the cover that was the guitar that was on the cover of their first record, and at the time it was like the black and white stripes, and yeah. you know so Did you it find was, out where uh, the stripes came from. Uh, I think you know he Eddie's a Eddie's a doodler, and, and he and I, I say that meaning like he doodles with the guitars, you know, like, you know, with the, with the strut, like the, the paint, the, the electronics, like he'll take out a pickup and throw a new one in the amps, like he'll crank, you know, not, not just the knobs, but like he'll get into the electronics and start oh, tweaking wow. stuff. And, you know, he, and I'm sure he Probably just came up with broke a lot thing. of things doing that, but yeah. you know, like that's how he got his sound was by, you know, he would put in fake pickups, you know, cause like other guitar players would, would copy what he's doing. Oh yeah. So he'd put in pickups that weren't actually soldered in. They were just there as dummies. Really? Um, so, you know, he, I guess he had a sense of humor, yeah. <laughs> but, um, but anyway, so Matt brought out Frankenstein and I'm like, can I hold that guitar? <laughs> and he's like, yeah, sure. Here. And so I, I have it and it's just like this, this one iconic yeah. guitar. And, you know, I started, I started to play it and it was woefully out of tune. I mean, it was like unplayable. I was like, and I'm like <laughs> oh man, and I'm not going to tune it cause I don't want to, I don't want to go there, but, um, but whatever I got to play hey, it. Hey, to be able to play it in tune or not that's pretty incredible so i asked my i asked my my assistant carl Klinger. i'm like Klinger, take a we we take a picture i'm like matt is it okay if Klinger takes a picture of me like yeah you can take a picture of you with the guitar but you have to promise me you will never ever post this on social media for as long as you live and i'm like all right fair enough like that deal no problem so I'll never post it. I have it on my phone. I'll show it to you. Hackers, please don't hack my phone. <laughs> that would be uncool. Um, so, so that's something that I have. And so a couple of years ago, the guitar was on display at the Met Museum in New York. Yeah, I heard that. And I so wanted to get up there to see it, but I, I was actually in New York shooting, but did not get a chance to go over there and oh, do it. 
bummer. Yeah, they had a lot of cool guitars. They had like Leo Fender's first solid body prototype. They had um, Muddy Waters, Telecaster. They had, you know, Steve Reaver, Yvonne, Strat. Um, you know, a lot of, a lot of really good tool, really cool. They had Joe Strummer's Telecaster with like the stickers on it and stuff. So, but with, with Eddie's guitar, they had it in plexiglass, like on a little pedestal so that you could walk all the way around it. And I, I shot the guitar. I shot, you know, the the, um, uh, Frankenstein front and back and I took detail shots. So I took those with me when I went to the museum and sure enough, like these, these little marks, I mean, it was like, it was this, it it, was the guitar. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, God, I wish I'd gotten over there to see that. It was pretty cool. How was shooting Eddie in, on the beach in Malibu? So, so the next day was Eddie on the beach. And, you know, if you know Malibu, it's notoriously cold. It's like the cold Pacific water coming off. Um, there was a marine layer, so there was like this overcast. And it was just a very cold, damp, clammy kind of day. I can't remember what, what time of year it was, maybe in March, February or March or something like that. So it was, I don't know, maybe it was June, whatever. And it was cold. And so we're out there, you know, like the, the first thing we do, we go, we go straight from the house down to the beach. And, you know, uh, we take our shoes and socks off. Like there was a rock that was over here that, you know, was kind of like surrounded by water and the waves would crash nearby. And I had Eddie stand on that, you know, sort of like, you know, coming out of the water and like this, you know, sort of majestic scene. Um, And so we, you know, we shoot with the Frankenstein, we shoot with, you know, a variety of other guitars. Um, We probably had a couple hours because, you know, it was, again, it was a cover shoot. I needed him to like, couple different looks and different guitars so he was super gung-ho the whole time um climbing up on these giant boulders and you know it it was it was really cool yeah at one point he said it's so cold out here my fingers are so cold you you couldn't pay me five million dollars to play a concert right now damn (laughs) that's what i said (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> that's when you know you I'm get like, some cash when somebody says i went to play a concert for five million okay you got a I little was like, i could I'll, I'll i'll play the concert i'll, I'll do the five million yeah but yeah somebody told me years ago i think patrick demarche had shot something for haynes and it was literally a black backdrop one light a girl sitting on the ground with just these black haynes boy shorts on with no top just doing like this and i think they paid 30 or 40 grand for that image and I remember telling the people at Haynes, shit, I'd have done it for 15. <laughs> Thank you, I'd have done nice. it for five. Easy. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. All right, so last question, ma'am. And then I'll let you go. What's the strangest, most interesting thing that's happened to you since you've started shooting? There, um, there's, there's a couple. There's a go-to that's like one of the, I mean, I've told you about a couple really memorable shoots. Um, there's a story on my website about the, the, the John Lennon guitar, the, the J160E. Go and read it. It's kind of a long story. I don't want to bore you with it. But I, I, there's another story that, I, that I, is kind of an interesting, it was, a, it was an interesting lesson for me. 
and it's 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 kind of an interesting story. So I had I had a shoot. There was a series that I did for the LA Weekly uh, called the People Issue. It was an annual issue. It was like a best of LA, but instead of restaurants and bars, it was people. And so they would they would you know uh, uh, they would do articles about people movers and shakers. You know all, all kinds of people, community. Um, uh, organizers and movie stars and you know artists like all kinds of creative people so I got this assignment to shoot an LAPD detective officer detective I'm not sure um, whose detail was art theft and art forgery like this is this is what he those are the laws that he enforced this Mm -hmm. guy named Don Hertzik so I meet him down at LAPD headquarters and I meet him and I meet his deputy, you know, uh, partner in crime, so to speak. And, you know, she seemed nice enough. He was nice. Like, pleasure to meet you. Um, Don, you ready to, let's, let's go do this. Do you have pieces like forged pieces that you have that we can go shoot? So he's like, yeah, follow me. So we go down to the basement where they have a, a room with all of these um, forgeries, like these, you know, uh, you know, whether it's Warhol or Basquiat or like, you know, whatever, a bunch of forged artwork. And so his deputy is following us and I'm like, oh, she must, it must be time for her lunch or something. She must be going to the cafeteria. And so, but she doesn't get off the elevator. She comes down with us and I'm just like, okay, that's cool. She just wants to tag along and like, this must be fun for her to like something different to you know go see a photo shoot. And so I set up a light and like, we're all just kind of small talk, chit chat, whatever. And I set up the scene and I'm like, okay, well, Don, let's start with, um, with that piece and uh, stand over here and, you know, let's, uh, let me do a couple tests. And his, his deputy gets in the shot and I'm like, <laughs> okay this is going to be awkward um what's your name oh yeah stephanie um my assignment's to shoot don but i i, I didn't say this out loud because right. it would be you know but i'm thinking this like my assignment's to shoot don stephanie's in the shot well how am i i gotta i gotta how do i photoshop her out i gotta set her up in a like you know what no i'm not gonna Okay, so I'm going to shoot some shots with both of you. And then I want to do some individuals with different art. Like I want to shoot some individuals of you, Stephanie. And then right. I want to do some individuals with Don. Okay? That was Great. smart. So we would do some of this or whatever. And so I, I submit the images. And maybe I told the art director, uh, Derek Rainey, that this, this story and how awkward it was. A year or two later, he calls me and he's like, Kev, do you have those shots of Stephanie? And I'm like, Stephanie? Like, you know, the, the art theft guy, uh, his deputy. And I'm like, yeah, why? He's like, she just got indicted for murder. Ooh. I'm like, what? Are you serious? What happened? He said, like, there was a cold case in the valley from like, the mid 1980s and it was like this 
like her ex-boyfriend's new girl or like maybe ex-husband new girlfriend or wife she was murdered but at the time they thought it was a robbery because there were a series of robberies and but they i don't know how she became a suspect but there were people who were investigating this cold case they they worked on the same floor as her and they followed they followed her to like this fast food restaurant because the, the the victim back in the day had bite marks so they pulled dna oh wow and so they needed dna from this suspect stephanie and so they followed her she she took a you know like had lunch salad or whatever she took the spoon or the straw threw it away and then when she's gone they they dug in and grabbed it and sure enough it was a match <laughs> and so they and the, i think that the the original interrogation is online they they bring her in and she was just like this is weird why am i here and they start asking questions and and about this case she's like yeah i remember that case because she was a cop I'm pretty sure she was a cop at the time and, and like things get really tense, really fast. She's like, do I do, do, should I get a lawyer here? Like, is this, am I being, am I a suspect for this? Whatever. Sure enough. And, uh, and so I had these images and now like 48 hours is calling, you know, like all these news programs, local, local news, national news, they're all calling me for these images. And like, I wasn't the only one who shot her. There are a couple others out there, but, uh, but man, I made a lot of money. (laughs) And, um, you know, I'm glad I shot her. I'm glad she could tag along because if it had been up to me, I'd have been like, uh, no, thanks. My assignment's to shoot Don, so I don't need you. But I, I, I went with it just because I didn't want it to be too awkward and yeah. I didn't want to be rude. And I never throw images away. Like, I, I never delete images. I'm like, you know, I'm like I, this isn't my assignment. Why do I need these images? I'm just going to delete them. Right. Like, no. Like, I kept those. That was genius. Yeah, I, I probably would have shot the two of them and then asked her, say, let me get a couple of him by himself real quick because we need to get a few of those since he's the lead detective or whatever, and then I'll be good. So the fact that she shot them both and had just her, that's incredible, man. And that she didn't throw it away. I think it was the same thing with, um, you know, when Clinton had that whole thing with Monica Lewinsky, the guy who had the shot of – Lewinsky kissing Clinton and I can't remember his name right now I'm blanking he was talking about how all the other photographers there he thought had probably deleted those images because they didn't need it he doesn't delete anything so he was like I remember that face or whatever went back and found that shot so that's pretty smart to keep all that stuff too for sure you never know but wow I've 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 shot murderers before when I was living in Phoenix I did a shoot for the Phoenix New Times about skinheads and I didn't know it at the time that one of them was a, had, had committed murder in the past. That, that came out later when he was arrested and charged with and convicted of a, of a particular murder. Um, did you have to go back to the skinheads headquarters or something like that? Or did you just, they just pick some random skinheads and you went there? No, I mean, it was um, the, uh, it was a specific group and um, I, I mean, I, I don't know much about like 
if it's like Aryan Nation or Proud Boys yeah, or know. whatever. I it was like a motorcycle club where they had a headquarters or I don't know how. They were. I mean, I shot at their house. We went to a billiards parlor and shot there. And like, you know, it was, um, it was just a bunch of skinheads, you know? And, um, but you know, it was, I, I thought later when I saw that this guy had been indicted for murder, I was like, wow, that's really crazy having photographed a murderer. Like it just, yeah. but now there might be more than people that I've photographed that who are murderers. I don't know. But, uh, but Stephanie Lazarus is one of them. You know? I had a stylist tell me that everybody knows five. I think she said five, maybe she just said one, but everybody knows at least one, if not five people who have killed somebody. Wow. And I was like, I don't think that's possible. You obviously have met at least two. So you're up on there. I mean, maybe if you could, if you include like, you know, uh, people who have been at war or okay, yeah, officers, I guess if you do that, then yeah, maybe. You know, yeah. Or like, I mean, you know, that, that seems more feasible because when you're at war, you kill people. Yeah. Yeah. That would make more sense. Yeah. yeah. I didn't even thought about that. Cause all I was thinking was, I just don't think I know anybody who just went out and killed someone, but then again, they probably wouldn't have told me. <laughs> yeah. I hear you. Well, Kevin, man, thank you so much for. Hey, uh, Mark, thank you. I appreciate it. Hey, yeah. I got a joke for you. What? Yeah, okay. I have a joke. How many photographers does it take to screw in a light bulb? Oh, my God. How many? A hundred. One to do it and 99 to go, oh, I could have done that. <laughs> yeah, that sounds exactly right. <laughs> okay, I'm remembering that joke. I'm going to use that because that's. That's completely it right there. Everybody <laughs> knows. That's kind of like, I had a, a joke about art directors. It's like, what was one art director say to the other art director? He goes, I don't know. What do you think? <laughs> I've definitely yeah. had a few of those. Oh, yeah. yeah. Well, I've asked art directors the same question. <laughs> yeah. I've had them where they just go, okay. Yeah. All right. I just go, do you, are we good? Do you want to... <laughs> Well, I think we got it. Uh, I thought we, I think we've shot this 15 different ways. I think we've hit it and they go, yeah. Okay. If you think so. Okay. <laughs> yeah. That's exactly how it goes. Right. Yeah. Well, you uh, think it'd be a little more decisive, but for some reason, I guess they're not. Well, dude, thank you again. I really do appreciate it. Anybody watching, listening, be sure and like this thing, thumbs up it, subscribe to it, comment on it, all that kind of stuff. Check out Kevin's uh, work. I'll put a little link on Instagram and your website and all that kind of stuff so everybody can check you out, man. Thank you, Mark. Yeah. Appreciate it. Yeah, dude. Thank you very much. Cheers. See ya.